0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. So, a lot of times I will record the intro before I do the episode, and it sounds all seamless, like I actually recorded the intro while I was on the phone with the person, but that's not how it happens. And so, I am re recording this intro and letting you know about it for I don't know what reason other than just so you see that this shit just doesn't happen seamlessly. For a couple reasons. And one is because Dr. Lakeisha Jenkins is so amazing that I felt like my first intro did not truly give her enough, just like pizzazz, because she was one of my favorite people. But after this interview, she may be my favorite person. And I'm not the type of person who puts someone on a pedestal. That's not my personality. I'm usually pretty reserved, and I'm like, yeah, you're kind of cool. But Dr. Lakeisha is kind of one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. So I wanted to give her a new intro. And I also wanted to say that this episode, because I was speaking to Dr. Lakeisha, I was in the United States. She was in Jamaica. We had to change the way we did the recording. And there are a couple times where her phone does drop out, but it's only for like two words at a time. And please stick with the episode because this is a good one, especially around 25 minutes when you want to hear about flying to Jamaica legally with weed. So you want to listen to the whole thing, but definitely you want to hear around 25. The whole thing was like so beautiful. But as someone who really likes to fly with cannabis, if I can, especially to someplace like Jamaica, I want to hear about it. So here's my reintroduction for Dr. Lakeisha Jenkins. Dr. Lakeisha Jenkins is a doctorate of naturopathy and is also a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild. She's proficient in identifying the active constituent and cannabinoid profiles in botanicals and integrating these profiles together in herbal compounds. She's also the founder and CEO of the Kiana T. Jenkins Foundation of Natural Health a 501c3 holistic health nonprofit organization. The Kiana Foundation and its subsidiary, the Pharmacy, a nonprofit agricultural cooperative, operates a natural health outlet in Pleasanton, California. Dr. Jenkins has provided holistic health services in Northern California since 2010, and the Pharmacy Cooperative recently expanded its reach into international territory with opening an extension in Kingston, Jamaica. All right, so there's the professional part. The non-professional or my professional opinion part is Dr. Lakeisha is one of the most heartfelt people I have ever spoken to. You know, I talk to a lot of herbalists and I talk to a lot of people in the quote-unquote wellness industry and the quote-unquote cannabis industry, and we all have really good missions and good visions. Some of us are a little bit more, you know, like spiritual or woo-woo and, you know, some of us are more grounded in our research and our science. And I feel like Dr. Lakeisha has both of those, but there's also like a realism that she exudes that I feel like maybe it's because of why she chose to start the Keona T. Jenkins Foundation, which I'm going to let her explain to you. I'm not sure what it is, but she is just someone that I really see as being a voice and a vision of what our potential future can be like. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. It was so much fun to talk to Dr. Lakeisha, both on and off the microphone. And so please let me know what you think about this episode, Please give Dr. Lakeisha a shout out of love after you listen to the episode and just support everything that she's doing. So thanks again for listening to the herb walk with Jessica Baker. So Dr. Lakeisha, did you grow up with a connection to herbalism or farming or, you know, a back to the land type parenting, or did you kind of come to this by yourself?
1: So it's funny, it's like a little mixture of both. If you want to talk about it in my family history. It's there. My grandfather is honestly an herbal healer. I remember him back in Mississippi having like huge gardens, growing a lot. Like they ate fresh fruits and vegetables. And he can walk out into the woods in Mississippi and pick you every shrub and berry to cure everything that ails you. I was born in Mississippi, but I moved from there when I was two. I spent all my summers there until I was 19. So it was a part of my history there, but not its influence. My parents weren't like that. I grew up in Silicon Valley. I watched Silicon Valley become Silicon Valley. I think I had to attribute it more to when my oldest daughter was diagnosed with brain cancer, that I really was looking for solutions and going sort of back to the basics, back to nutrition, back to health. And that guided me to this particular journey that I'm on now.
0: So you weren't a naturopath at that point when your daughter was diagnosed?
1: No, you know, no, I wasn't. I started out being a food scientist because I was very interested in nutrition and health and food science. And so that's actually where I started. But like I said, I grew up in Silicon Valley. So I quickly became computer science My dad was a network engineer when I realized that that's where everything was based. But when my daughter was diagnosed, and when I questioned whether chemotherapy and radiation was the appropriate course of treatment, because her tumor was so rare that it, only three cases had been seen in the brain, and they decided to give her a treatment protocol, but different type of cancer, and I just knew in my heart that wasn't right, and they didn't want to listen to me about about the way it plays a role in health or any of it. so I decided there and then maybe they would actually listen.
0: And so, when you realized that you weren't going to do this experimental treatment on your daughter, did you just seek from the internet, or did you have other naturopaths that you worked with, or kind of ha- what steered the direction of treatment for you?
1: Well, what steered the direction was the fact that they didn't want to listen to me, and at the state of California, if you don't give your child because they're a minor whatever treatment that they tell you to, they consider you a threat to your child because you're acting outside of medical advice, and they get CPS involved, and they take away your parental rights. So I didn't have a choice but to give my daughter chemotherapy and radiation. It wasn't an option for me. So really what scared you is finding alternative and complementary things that would not only help the cancer, but also help with the damage that was being done by the chemotherapy and mediation. And unfortunately, although my daughter able to beat cancer, I wanna be clear about that. She beat cancer. They were able to remove all of her brain tumor with her second brain surgery. The problem was she couldn't recover from the effects of chemotherapy and radiation. And so it was very difficult for me because I'm like, okay, so I questioned whether this was right. You said I had to, or you would take away my parental rights and call CPS. So now that my daughter is gone based on what you did, who has CPS on you? recourse do I have? And really that right there is just what was the catalyst for change for me that really just gave me sort of a kick in the pants in alternative and complementary medicine and helping people understand that they have options and to explore those options.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, that is just a horrible representation of our healthcare system where it's like they we get no power to the people who actually have our children and ourselves, our best interest in mind, but then they treat us like a criminal. So I Apologize on behalf of the entire Western medical system that it sucks and they, <laughs> right. they they really, it's not about healthcare. It's about profit and it's not about like long-term. And unfortunately, Kiana got, you know, one of unfortunate millions who have been neglected and also abused by our healthcare system. And then our parent, you know, the parents are treated like criminals. So I'm glad you are now a healthcare professional who has a voice for others and also for sanity, because this is about sanity. This is about, not about the bottom dollar for some, you know, insurance company, but about people actually thriving.
1: It is. And I think that that's why I fight so hard. Well, I know that's why I fight so hard. Number one. So Kiana didn't die in vain, you know, that I can use that, that as a catalyst for the entire health care system in America and beyond. But then I can also use that unbridled passion. You know, they say hell has no theory like a woman scorned. Well, you can't be more scorned than losing your firstborn child when you really feel in your heart that you absolutely didn't have to. So if I can just educate as many people as possible to know that Our body is a self-healing organism. If you give your body the appropriate vitamins, minerals, amino acids, all those constituents that are required to sustain life, it can and will repair itself. Not saying that Western medicine doesn't have its place. In my opinion, it's mostly in emergency situations to arrest death. But there's also other places that it's there. I want to see the two systems work alongside each other. And I want to stop seeing it so one-sided where it's like Western medicine is the only way, the allopathic medical system is the only way, there's nothing else that you can do. I want to open up people's eyes and say, yes, there is nutrition is half the battle. There's no other area in life that you can do whatever you want without consequence. And your health, it's no exception. And I just want that message to be received by everyone.
0: Do you feel like that message is being more widely received than it has before?
1: Absolutely, because people are fed up. The system that we have, the healthcare system that we have right now is fundamentally broken at its core. And people are realizing and they're not getting a solution. And they want a solution. Gone are the days of just masking symptoms and trying to gain some sort of quality of life, if you can, because that hasn't been successful. What people are looking for now is a real healing. And to really be honest, there's a healing that needs to happen on a global level in so many areas. It starts with health, though, holistic health mind, body, and spirit, getting those things in alignment and on one accord, getting one with ourselves, our brethren, our other citizens, and one with the earth, that's what needs to happen. And I think people are starting to become awake and aware and demanding for better.
0: And do you think the Western allopathic system is listening to these demands? Or are they slowly catching up? I mean, I have a friend who he's a paraplegic and he was basically just treated like a criminal at UC Davis for using cannabis for his chronic pain. And it's like, if anybody should not be judged for using cannabis, I feel like it should be someone who physically looks like it's okay if they use, I think anybody should be able to use cannabis, but to be treated like a criminal still in 2018 in California, I just, are they listening? I think that
1: they're turning a deer and I'm going to be honest presentation right now. Most physicians don't believe in the healing powers of botanicals as a whole, first of all, because they're not taught that way. But cannabis specifically, because of the negative stigma that's attached to it, I think what has to happen is we need to change the narrative and the school of thought. God bless everyone in the cannabis industry that says it's our right to use cannabis. It should be legalized. Everybody, it's just a plant and all those things, because I believe you wholeheartedly, but that's not how you enact change. You have to think that you are challenging the entire profession of some people that really have a huge voice. you We're challenging the school of thought of an entire industry, not just the medical industry, but also the pharmaceutical industry. Your message, it needs to be guided, needs to be thought out, and it needs to be based on true health, science, research, and action. What I find is where a doctor may not want to hear, we should be able to use cannabis because it's our right. When you educate a doctor on the endogenous cannabinoid system, it it, it exists. Most don't even know what it is, but that it even exists. Take them on the system, the function, and the regulatory action. Point them to the research, and that's how you start to change hearts and minds. Doctors have to listen. Once they start losing patience and it threatens their livelihood, they'll wake up and they'll definitely listen.
0: You know, I feel like as long as they keep getting kickbacks from the pharmaceutical industry, it's only going to be when it's a cannabis pharmaceutical company giving them a kickback. Will they be like, okay, we're listening. And, you know, I say that with a little tongue in cheek, but also that's how little faith I actually have in doctors to do some free thinking on their own, even If they feel like their career is on the line, I don't know. I just, and that's mean of me. I don't quite mean that exactly like it came out, but almost. No,
1: it's not. not. I agree. I agree. It's not. It's not. You're just being real. You're being real. I mean, these are the real problems. This is what we face. You're being very honest. And I share the same sentiment. It's a challenge. And it takes people like you, which I love and respect so much your work for just that reason, getting the education getting the real information out there, using your platform, use, whether they're listening or not, eventually that word is going to get out there. It's going to be heard. And it just takes us all banded together to do it.
0: It does. Absolutely. And I am seeing that a little bit in this cannabis world. Let's kind of go down that rabbit hole for a minute. So you were the, a founding member and the first president of the California Cannabis Industry Association and then you served on the board of the NCIA, which is the National Cannabis Industry Association. You know, what has your experience been working within those various associations? And are they looking out for the business, the consumer? You know, wh- what's kind of the purpose of those <laughs> associations? And I'm asking from, for a personal reason and also just so you know, listeners and then other people in the cannabis industry who keep getting bombarded with like, go to this event or join this group, you know, what's kind of your opinion about those and professionally, because you've been involved. So you, you know more than most of us.
1: Yeah, I think that professional associations on a whole are needed. They're advocacy groups. They sort of like I have a cooperative business model. They're designed to be everybody working together within that association for a common goal. So that sort of ideology really resonates with me. I really believe in that core mission. I think the problem with some of the associations that we have now is that core mission, if you think about California, the largest cannabis market in the world, was built on a movement of patient's rights, patient's access. That movement has now turned into an industry though. Mm -hmm. And just like any other industry, (laughs) when you have people that had a vested interest in building the movement, when the industry comes in, unfortunately, that unbridled passion is not in line with the interests of the shareholders, you know, these days. And I hate to say it like that, (laughs) but it's what it is. Yes, The unbridled passion is no longer what it's about anymore. It's about the business of cannabis. And unfortunately, whoever has the most dollars decides what the business of cannabis is. And that is a core root and fundamental problem. And one of the reasons that I still focus in my own way on the core mission. Like we started this in the first place to save people's lives, the endogenous cannabinoid system, the regulatory system, and you can't experience homeostasis in the body without regulating that system or supporting it nutritionally. People are dying and they don't have to. And unless that's your mission to save people's lives and to spread that education, I can unfortunately no longer contribute all of my time and energy to to supporting a mission that's outside of that. And that, that's really where I'm at.
0: Well, I love that because you're like walking your truth, which is what we need. I don't really want to see cannabis go into the model of everything else, which is like money and greed and power, which is kind of unfortunately what seems to be the natural progression of business. And I know there are alternatives for that. Um. So thank you for being so honest because I feel the same way, but I, I didn't know if that was just a personal bias or if this was actually rooted in something. It's nice to know that I wasn't just being a little stodgy against them because you're right. I'm an acupuncturist. We need our associations to lobby for us, but we also need to make sure we understand the common goal, which is... The betterment of people, not the betterment of a few people's wallets, you know, which is really what I do see happening. So let's talk about your mission for a while, because you have the Keona T. Jenkins Foundation and also the pharmacy. So explain both of those to us a little bit more and how they weave together, if they do at all.
1: Yeah. So the Keona Foundation is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. We started out as a cancer foundation, providing financial assistance to cancer survivors. There became a point in time where I realized so many people were being diagnosed with cancer that I couldn't be effective. I couldn't provide the type of financial assistance that I needed to. I would have to have endless pockets and endless budgets to be able to do that. I had to change my thought process and say, this is where my mission comes in of helping people not get cancer in the first place. Changing more to a holistic health organization and saying, hey, this is what you need to do to support your body nutritionally. Just like I said before, support that self-healing system so that you don't get in that situation. But if you do, here's some complementary and alternative things to help you get out of it. We still provide financial assistance, by the way of giving treatment, cancer survivors, and I hate to use the word treatment, but nutritional supplementation to combat symptoms of chronic degenerative and terminal illness is what I mean. Um, just in case the FDA is listening, just kidding, not kidding. <laughs> Anyways, but <laughs> but we still provide that financial assistance and. The pharmacy is our agricultural cooperative. So everything is a nutritional base. Like I said, we have to have nutrition. And I feel like cannabis is a nutritional supplement. It honestly and truly is because it supports the endogenous cannabinoid system through phytocannabinoid supplementation if you're taking it, especially internally, That's what we need to think about. So they sort of play together with each other because through the pharmacy and growing not just cannabis, but other additional herbs and fruits and vegetables, creating products that are based off of nutrition and helping you learn how to use those products, making sure everyone gets the right product with the right dose and the right delivery method to address whatever symptoms they have. And then really that comes through our parent company of Genesis Cooperative Incorporated, where we operate again on a cooperative business model, everybody working together for a common goal. So we have the agricultural sector, we have the nutraceutical sector, we have the education and treating sector of that organization, everybody coming together to change the narrative change the message and to try to do our part to bring that healing to the nation, to the world, because that's what's needed.
0: That is absolutely what's needed. So that's awesome. So part of the pharmacy cooperative is your, it is a farm. You're actually growing cannabis and other herbs for some of the products that, yeah. that you then can um, sell your
1: clients. Yeah, absolutely. And positively. So we really been able to expand that now here in Jamaica, so I'm based in Jamaica more than anywhere now, and here, because Jamaica has some of the most pristine lands, and some herbs that cannot be found in any other areas of the world are found here, and some of the most pure cannabis strains where none of the, the terpenoids or flavonoids, any of those things have been bred out. You can get those medicinal frames here. And we have some beautiful farms, indigenous farmers that produce some of the most quality medicinal herbs in cannabis that you have ever seen. We can do research and development here a lot easier than I was able to do located in California. So absolutely, a big part of that is farming. A big part of that is farming and supporting farmers.
0: Did somebody from Jamaica say, hey, come do a pharmacy cooperative here? Or were you like, I got to get out of here. Let's go to Jamaica.
1: So being, again, you know, <laughs> the founding president of the California Cannabis Industry Association and walking through regulating the entire medical industry and then walking through the language and legalizing, you know, on an adult level, I knew what was coming down the pipeline. <laughs> I don't know, I don't really want to get into what's going on in California right now, but there's a lot going on. And there's a lot of glowing pains that are happening there. And I knew that if I really wanted to make a global impact, I couldn't do it from California. I was invited to Jamaica in October of 2017, speak at the Fifth Familia Cup in Conference. And when I realized that in California, I had 500 varieties of medicinal herbs in my office, and I came to Jamaica and there were 88 varieties that I'd never even heard of. This magical place.
0: You have a couple of things going on. You have a training coming up in mid-April. And then there's also a bunch of medical tourism going on in Jamaica right now. Is that with cannabis specifically or is that with all of these indigenous herbs as well?
1: All of it. All of it. And that's the beautiful thing about Jamaica. If people come here for medical and wellness tourism all the time. From the hot springs to just the rivers, the beaches, the water here, the, the indigenous herbs, the nutrition. People eat so healthy here. Everything is fresh. It's wonderful. And they grow some of the best cannabis here. And their medical program that they have here, there's a lot to said for it. And the fact that Jamaica actually has and this is a post tip that I'm giving out only on Jessica's podcast show right now to make a hash reciprocity. They've recognized medical recommendations from anywhere. So you can actually work through the Ministry of Health, get a signed paper stamp that if you come from a legal state like California and you're able to fly out of California with your medicine, your medical cannabis you can get sanctioned to fly into Jamaica with their medical canvas. And that's one of the things that I encourage people, is to be able to let me see what you have and let's compare and say, okay, these are the real traditional qualities that are found in this strain based on your cannabinoid, you know, terpenoid, flavonoid profile. These are the ones here in Jamaica. Let's compare and see how we can bring a true human based on science and information. And that's all of a part of our research project. So, the wellness and medical tourism is really a huge research study. We want to get people from all over the world and collect the data because that's all that I would have to put traditional or that the conventional medical system will listen to is data, quantitative evidence. So, we're collecting quantitative evidence based on self reporting of how you feel when you come and you experience the health and healing that's here in Jamaica, collect that data and put it into a large study because we need to change those hearts and minds. And we also have, like you said, the training that's coming up. So we're doing an endogenous cannabinoid system certification and inviting medical professionals and cannabis industry professionals to come to Jamaica and really learn the science behind the endogenous cannabis is function, learn about product delivery methods and how to titrate those. Cause it's really all of that data and information that's going to change the face of the medical establishment on a global level. We need to collect the data. And that's really what I'm doing here in Jamaica is trying to collect that data.
0: I guess I should have asked you that in two questions because I was so fascinated by the first Part of your answer that I want to make sure we get, we get like both of those separated because they're both so important. So, first of all, basically, you're saying anybody from a legal state needs to fly to Jamaica with their best weed, come have a smoke out of Jamaica and be able to compare the difference between like the Jamaican strains and the ones that you're bringing. And then, do they need to bring? which I love. It's like my new favorite thing to do. Like I'm basically like, when can I go to Jamaica? Do we need to bring our own lab test or do you have a lab there that you work with and then you take a sample and and do it at your lab? So
1: I think because I... To do is for everybody next to bring their cannabis to jamaica we do have laboratory testing here we actually have laboratory testing through the university of the west indies and a couple of other independent labs located in other parts of the island so we can get your medicine tested and really collect that research and data everything that i would say is if we can get it approved through the agricultural ministry is to get seeds here. Because one thing about Jamaica, anything that you plant in the soil here, fruit, vegetable, or herb, profile changes. There are so many microclimates in Jamaica. You can grow it in three different parts of the island and get three different phenotypes off of the same. This is a magical place. This is a place to do that research. So absolutely, yes let me submit them to the Ministry of Health let me get your same to bring your cannabis products to Jamaica and let's do some
0: research that is great and I really had no idea that's what you were doing there I thought you were just more like teaching and I didn't realize you had such a big research aspect to what you were doing
1: everything's research so my dispensing model in California was my private practice and it was based on research everyone filled out a medical profile we took an. Everything that we gave you, what the effects were, what the cannabinoid terpene profile, maybe even flavonoid and lipid profile were, if we could get that sort of information. And we collected all that data. So we could say definitively, this particular genetic profile theoretically should be good for this condition. We just picked up and done that here now in Jamaica because we can do that research almost uninhibited.
0: So can you share with us, you know, something specific? Like, is there a specific strain that you found good for insomnia due to like pain?
1: Here's the hard part. I can't dial it down to strain. I have to dial it down to genetic profile. Because unfortunately, what people claim their strains are, are actually what their strains are. So we work strictly off of cannabinoid, terpenoid, and potentially flavonoid profile. That's what we work specifically off of. And we can say if it presents in these percentages, theoretically, it's good for this because this many people have self-reported that they felt this using this specific profile. So we really dial it down to the science of the genetic profile. It's not just the name of the strain. If you bring your seeds here, though, or you bring your cannabis flowers here, though, and we match that genetic profile to something that we can call a strain, I think that's how now we start to actually classify, okay, this genetic profile, yes, we can give it a name, but it's really the genetic profile that determines how effective this particular botanical is for this particular or associated with this particular condition.
0: All right. I just want to point out to the listeners, for those of you who don't know, that that's the answer people should tell you when you ask, what strain is good for this? Because it's so true. Everyone throws some random name on there, and then you don't know what you're actually getting. So it doesn't matter what the name is. What matters is the actual profile of the plant. So thank you, Dr. Lakeisha, because that was like my favorite answer is like, oh, my God. Yes. Okay. So if you're curious, look up Dr. Lakeisha Jenkins, because there's a million websites that are going to tell you just BS answers. But her answer was like the A++ plus answer. So thank you. Thank you. When you post things and you say things that
1: speak to that, I'm like, yes. Get that information out there to the people. Dispel, my favorite thing is when you talk about Indica versus Sativa and those types of things that go with the genetic profile. I'm like, yes, get that information out there people, the real information, not just the fluff.
0: Well, I know. And everyone's like, I mean, I've had a few people over that Indica Sativa talk who are like, Well, why should we even care about this? We're creating our our own vocabulary. And it's like, well, you're discrediting decades of ethnobotanists who've actually been traveling the world to find out the true genetics of cannabis. But awesome that you just want to say indica because you're ignorant and you're basing this off false knowledge from prohibition. But awesome. Thanks for like wanting to educate yourself. And then most of these people are like cannabis, quote unquote, personalities. And I'm like, stop spreading nonsense it's almost like propaganda. It's like, we have to elevate the conversation and you are elevating the conversation. (laughs) And I just feel like anybody who understands that like, we need a different paradigm, not only for cannabis and health and way of life. It's like, we just, we, the shift of like wholeness and health and actually having, you know, the courage to stand up for these things that we believe in, like, this is what the present needs. And this is absolutely what the future needs. We don't need just spewing information and regurgitating false news because it's the information we've known. It's like we, we now know there's even an endocannabinoid system. So let's like run with that. And we now know a lot about genetic profiles of different cultivars. Like let's honor that and really like dig deep and not just be like, well, I want to call it indica or I want to call it satiba. It's like, you know, it's it's not enough anymore.
1: Agreed. Agreed. And I think that's probably like part of the method of my madness of doing the endogenous cannabinoid system training like in Jamaica. Because, you know, like we really bring the science and like the Dr. Boring activity that maybe not everybody is interested in. But hopefully there's enough people to spark the interest by it being in beautiful Jamaica that you come and learn the real information, because that's what we're going to need. is that real information, because just like you said, we need to elevate the conversation.
0: And so this this training is April 15th through the 19th. And then you're going to have a big 420 party after the conference.
1: And, yes. Yes. That's what they do. There's a the research arm. Um, at the University of the West Indies, and they research the genetic profiles and what they're good for. And actually, they also have a certification on cleanliness of the production methods of cultivating cannabis here in Jamaica as well. So they're very science-driven, and we're happy to partner with them and happy to bring that education to the masses through the 420 Festival and also the Education Course Week.
0: And this is a conference that you're going to start doing every year, you think? Or or what's your plans with that?
1: Yeah! Actually, we're going to do it every year, and it's going to be in a different part of the island every time we do it. So you'll be able to not have the exact same experience. You'll get more information. There are so many microclimates in Jamaica that each part of the island that we're doing it will get a different piece of information, um, especially when it comes to... The way i said things in the soil here genetic profiles change we'll learn about those that part of cultivation how like um soil amendments and different things change genetic profiles and then once you could have changed change genetic profile what that that genetic profile can actually combat the symptoms of i also i always have to be so careful like because I think about the FDA and how they are making it that slow, and I don't want in my this We're just taking systems and spreading information. That's exactly what we're doing here. We're not claiming to treat anything. We're just letting you know that science. This is information that hopefully you'll take that back, more corners of the world, and use it, to spread that out. That's what we're hoping for.
0: Well, in Jamaica, do you have to, to worry about the FDA or just because you work in both places, do you worry about the FDA? I'm not a
1: Jamaican citizen. I am an American citizen just today. day. <laughs> i like that and they wanted to... Yeah, I do worry. i It's kind of like with the passing of the hip, bill. You know what I mean? Everybody thought that some students would win you know, for the United States. like, oh, we'll pass the hip, so we can grow hip. FDA issued a statement that said that if you want to put it in the food or nutritional or pharmaceutical device, everything is FDA now. And now they're shutting down like CBD, you know, um, brands and things like that in the United States and retailers, and all of those things. Yeah, it's always there for me because at the end of the day, I am an American citizen.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's pretty much why I don't really have a cannabis product on the market currently, because whether it's hemp or medical cannabis, because there's so much to to deal with. And, you know, there's I've been seeing so many outrageous claims um, for CBD. I mean, in Oklahoma City, they have these giant billboards that say anxiety, CBD, CBD insomnia CBD and I'm like how have these billboards not gotten in trouble much less the CBD store that put them up
1: I agree and you know I don't understand how we have an endogenous cannabinoid system and we have over 300 receptor sites there's hundreds of cannabinoids phytocannabinoids where we got the god complex that we know that this one is the most beneficial for an entire person of the population. I want to know how we got to that point. That's what I really want to know. I want to know how you really feel like we're doing service by saying, okay, cannabinoids like uh, phytocannabinoids or cannabis have been removed from our diet and the pharmacopoeia for like 80 years. Everybody is probably suffering from some sort of endogenous cannabinoid deficiency deficiency. So, yeah, if you take one isolated cannabinoid, they are going to feel better. You're going to feel better before a very short period of time. Because once that receptor has received all that it needs, what about the other one? That's the problem, and I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a minute, with the allopathic medical system now. We take a group of symptoms, and based on the way those symptoms present, we come up with a disease diagnosis. And based on the name of that disease diagnosis, we come up with a treatment protocol. No room for individuality whatsoever. So Jessica has fibromyalgia and Lakeisha has lupus. At the end of the day, Jessica's fibromyalgia and Lakeisha's lupus is an autoimmune system disorder. Just because it presents the symptoms, present as fibromyalgia in Jessica, and the symptoms present as loop and Keisha, that means that the root cause is isn't an autoimmune system disorder. We need to fix that root cause. That's the problem. That we think we know what every individual on the planet needs. No. That's why I'm a proponent of full spectrum providing the entire the entire botanical profile as much as complete as possible. is the most natural as possible. So your body can use that nutritionally and it can choose which of those active constituents in that botanical is best for it and discard the rest like it does everything else nutritionally. We need to change that school of thought. We need to change our approach, way we're going to heal the world. And that's just how I feel about
0: it. That's exactly how I feel about it too. And I know that there are more of us out there. We just have to like actually be vocal about this and spread it to as many people as we can. Do you still see clients in California? I
1: don't see clients in California. I do telemedicine through my website. So so if you want to have a consultation with me. I have a number of outlets, licensed outlets in California that I have partnerships with that can pick up your medicine in California. I do see patients both here in Jamaica. You can physically come see me here in Jamaica. You can do medical or wellness tours retreat here here with me in Jamaica, or you can do telemedicine anywhere in the world. And I'll try my best to use my resources to get you the product and support that you actually
0: need. That's great. So regardless of where you are in the world, you could do a tele-appointment. And if you're in Jamaica, you can see Lakeisha, Dr. Lakeisha in person. What are some of those stores, uh, the retailers in California? So that means if somebody has a consultation with you and they live in California, they can pick up like the herbal protocol that you've made for them.
1: Absolutely, yes, because I've gutted a few of the retailers, I've gutted their product lines and what they offer. I've actually helped to develop what product line they actually offer because they're one of the ones that are very conscious and they, they base their retail location off of science. So I'll be able to direct you to them to pick up the products that will help to combat the symptoms of whatever you're experiencing.
0: Oh, that's great. You know, I find a lot of the products at the dispensary to be pretty lacking. So I'm glad to know that you formulated and helped formulate some of those. What's the biggest difference that you notice between working in the United States and working in Jamaica? In the cannabis world and just in general, a big difference between the two countries?
1: I think in general, health and wellness is a lifestyle here. It's not an afterthought. That it is in America. Unfortunately, in America, health and wellness preventative medicine and preventative approaches to health are, are not commonplace. Prevention is definitely commonplace here. And most Jamaicans could tell you what these mechanicals that surround us are good for. And I, I think that's primarily, first and foremost, a major difference. Secondarily, I think that in the cannabis industry, because cannabis is a part of the culture here. You find that the cultivars that have been growing it for a very long time have actually studied the science behind it. They may not be able to articulate it to you through botanical profile with that type of thing, but they can tell you what these particular botanicals, the particular strains, if you will, that are found here are good for. I think that the amount of research that has gone into that, because there are a lot of traditional medicine healers here in Jamaica, if the school of thought is different. I think one of the things that I find funny about um, America is we're so focused on cannabis, and we forget that there's an entire population of professionals like you and I that base their entire careers on botanical medicine. <laughs> it's not just cannabis. Because it's like medical medicine as a whole. And so I think that here, that, that school of thought is very prevalent. Most people think that way. There's some sort of natural remedy that they will go to prior to going to the pharmaceutical. And it's just not the same in the United States.
0: Yeah, definitely not the same in the United States. I mean, I feel like now even it's almost worse because for some people... Healthcare is not even an afterthought. Now it's like this fad. And if you're not on a very specific diet and protocol and wearing this outfit and doing this exercise, then like, then you're not healthy, which is really confusing to people who really are trying to decide what health means for them. And it's like as simple as like, have drinking herbal tea, take a walk in nature and like, you know, We've created this like confusion around health, I think, in in the United States that probably in Jamaica they don't have because it's like, you know, they're like growing more of the food. They know the herbs. They know the local, you know, remedies for everything because it's just passed down from generation to generation instead of getting it from you know, an advertisement on Instagram. And that's telling you what health means today. Totally like a different approach to life in general. And I don't know personally, because I've never been to Jamaica, but my um, friends who have family in Jamaica, they were talking about how, you know, it was really like the Rastas who embraced cannabis. And I know for a while they were kind of looked down upon for their, what would seemingly for some people be excessive cannabis use now, is Jamaica as a whole, are they embracing cannabis more? No.
1: No. No, not at all. That negative stigma, that reprogramming, that whole thing it is this terrible, 100%, just like they demonize the Rocky community and those types of things. And it's the same thing. We have to take that nutritional approach, that educational approach, so that at the end of the day, that's what makes sense. So, you okay. know, for their health, whatever it costs, and if you make it make sense to them, because everything everybody old and everybody's experiencing some sort of ailment, and you really educate them on the endogenous cannabinoid system. able to just take it. We're not at that point yet. We're not at that point. Not in Jamaica, when the whole culture is there. not in America and not in anywhere else in the world. We have to change the narrative. We have to elevate the taxes. Yep,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I was hoping for some reason that like there was just this, you know, awakening. But of course, if the people aren't even smoking weed yet, how are they gonna have the awakening? <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> You know, but <laughs> No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs>
0: well, this really makes me think of like a larger topic, you know, that is unfortunately ingrained in the United States culture and in so many places around the world is this like inherent racism that's going on. Right. And in Jamaica, it's against the Rastas and the United States. It's pretty much against everyone who's not a white male. And even the, they feel like demonized at this point. And so I don't want to demonize white males. But I mean, you're a strong black woman in a very white male dominated space. And how is that for you? And how is it knowing there's all of this like, you know, multi-million to soon to be billion dollar industry that when there's still people in jail and that's all sorts of colored people are in jail, like white, black Mexican, like all Latino, everyone that, and you know, we have this huge industrial prison complex here in America. How do you reconcile that within yourself? Cause I struggle as a white woman, how to reconcile that within myself. I
1: struggle so with it too, because you want to be completely honest, go like let's just be real. Whether I'm black woman or not, fortunately, unfortunately, the way that you describe it, I grew up in California in the Silicon Valley. My father was an engineer and my mom was a corporate banker. A lot of the minority families went through the drug war and all of those things. I did not experience. It honestly wasn't until my work. I promise you, until my work in the cannabis industry that I opened my eyes and I woke up and I realized the problem. So I struggle with it too. I might still with it even more because I oh my god, I am a black woman. I am a minority and I I grew up in a and I didn't realize that this is the problem. I probably had a very sheltered life, I won't lie. So I did struggle with it. And that's one of the reasons now why I fight so hard. And honestly, one of the reasons that I'm in this culturally when you think of cannabis You think of Jamaica. And what I'm here is how bad this country is struggling. And what I see the inherent there's classism here. Like more than racism, there's classism and colorism here. So the classism is definitely against the Rastafarian community and those people that go to Canada here in Jamaica. It really is. And so it's sort of the same sort of fight. Racism in America, classism is the same sort of struggle and and I do I feel that any community that's been affected, any population, any people that has been affected disproportionately, arrested, prosecuted for this plant should help and have a space and have a voice and have a way to come into this market that everyone is privatized and gain on. Those are the people who should be able to have an unabhicted space to do what they've been doing culturally, generationally, without having that fear anymore. And those are the people who know it. And those are the people who should benefit. So yeah, I struggle. I struggle. I think it is definitely a racism thing. I think here's definitely a racism thing. It's a big part of the problem. We also charge to help to change. I do not know lie. I'm a doctor. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how to change it. I really don't. Like I said, it's hard that person's struggle. But I know that I'm going to do my part. When I see the injustice, when I see the disservice, I'm not going to turn the blind eye and I'm going to speak out and I'm going to do my part. Even if I can't change the world, even if I can't change it for everyone, I'm going to do my part and die. And I just ask,
0: Well, I appreciate your total honesty in that answer, because I think it's important for us to remember that we all did grow up in a completely different world than someone, maybe even our next door neighbor, but definitely someone who lives in an entirely different state or a different country, regardless of the color of your skin. Right. We all have our different realities and how we grew up. Most of the people I know who grew up in California like, I mean, you guys were like lucky to grow up there for the most part, regardless of what economic status your parents had, right? It's like the fact that you just get to live in California is, is like a, a privilege on so many levels. But I guess this brings up another thought. And then I know we have to go because we're busy, but I could pretty much talk to you all day. And that is about because nutrition, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nutrition is such a big part of your um, work and of your mission. And like we understand how important nutrition is for health. And so, you know, for the United States, again, we have these like food deserts and unless you're really lucky, you don't have like this access to really good, like organic or even just fresh fruits and vegetables. How do you work with that, you know, within your clients and your work? And then also how does that, is that the same for Jamaica or because it's so plentiful in terms of like things growing everywhere, do you see that same disparity in just access to good food?
1: There's not a disparity in access, but sometimes there's a disparity in education. And here is the and I'm going to be real honest with this. A lot of first world countries contribute to the problem. And it's our capitalist mindset and sort of owning things, material things that determine their self-worth you know what determines whether it's a good enough vegetable. I'll give you an example. Vegetables grow everywhere here in Jamaica. You can find fruits and vegetables like rotting on the ground because there's such an overgrowth. There's an abundance of food growing wild everywhere here. But because you can't eat at that restaurant or you can't have that particular food that so and so over there has, or you can't do that particular thing. you have such tunnel vision on, on putting your self worth on your ability to be able to access that, that don't see all of the abundance that's rotting around you. Where well, there's not as much like maybe hunger and starving people on the street, because some people recognize that it still exists and I don't understand how it exists here until I realize that it's that sort of mindset. And they're looking at, well, that's first world. I want what's in the first world. Forget all of these fruits and vegetables growing around me. That is first world. This restaurant is first world. Being able to go to that, even Burger King or Wendy's or whatever is here, that best fancy restaurant, that's that. And if I can't have that, I won't eat that over there, you know. I won't. I won't. You know, challenge my status again. It's a very classist society here, very class. And and it really just is mind boggling, honestly. How much America because Jamaica looks to America for everything. It's like Big Brother. How much America and the American mind influences the entire culture here. It, it's mind-boggling. It really
0: is. Well, I'm glad that you can be an American in Jamaica being like, no, don't look to America. They are not the best example of where, of where we should be. And capitalism is like ruining the world. And that's why I hold cannabis so close to my heart. Because I'm like, don't turn into this like commodity and ju- of just like junk and trash and consumerism that everything else gets turned into, you know, including healthcare. With all of our fads and, you know, supplements and all this stuff you have to take. So thank you for always bringing it back to nutrition. Because that's where it starts is nutrition.
1: It does. It does. It does. And at the end of the day, we have a system in our body that regulates the other system. It regulates like inflammatory response. It regulates, you know, things like digestive and digestion, cognitive response, endocrine, you know, function, those types of things. We have a regulatory system that can't support itself, just like every other system needs to be supplemented nutritionally. We don't produce enough iron. We don't produce magnesium at all. We don't, you know, enough of those vitamins and minerals and amino acids and we need to get it nutritionally, same thing for the endogenous cannabinoid system. We need phytocannabinoid system supplementation to help support that system that helps support and regulate every other system. So I'm always going to draw it back to nutrition, nutritional supplementation.
0: Absolutely. And we have to wrap it up, but tell our listeners where they can contact you and learn more about what you do and also schedule a consultation with you if they uh, so desire.
1: Sure. So everything is on my website, which is drlakisha.com. So it's C-R-L-A-K-I-S-H-A dot com. And on all social media, I'm the at symbol, Dr. LaKeisha. Super simple. (laughs) I try to make it as easy as possible. If you put Dr. LaKeisha, all lowercase, all out, no periods, anything, no punctuation there, you should be able to find me anywhere.
0: And you're lucky because it's so hard to find those domain names with your name. I mean, it's like impossible. So it's like you're stoked, Dr. LaKeisha, (laughs) like easy, you know. Right, Yeah. super easy yep well i am so glad that you said yes to this interview and this has been such a pleasure for me i love to hear you speak i can't wait to come to jamaica and see you keep spreading the goodness this is like you like radiate joy and goodness so i totally appreciate that energy all the time thank you so much
1: you are so welcome the pleasure is mine you are one of my heroes. Like I said, I appreciate your work and what you do to the feeling is 100% mutual. And anything for you. If you called me and was like, look, I need you here right now, I would come and anything you say. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Definitely don't tempt me. I may have to find an excuse. Like, why do I need Dr. Lakeisha? I need her here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If nothing else, just to cheer me up. So thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I am just beaming from my conversation with Dr. Lakeisha. It's always just so amazing to me to see people who can like work with that big energy because that's what it is. I mean, she said, I have to leave California and go to Jamaica to make a global impact. And that's really what we're here for folks. It's not about like making a global impact by having, you know, 10 million Instagram followers. It's actually about doing something with that voice that you have. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lakeisha. Thank you listeners for another episode of the Herb Walk podcast. It is always my pleasure to bring you this information about herbal medicine and cannabis, especially. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lakeisha, for your knowledge, for your love, and for just actually wanting to make the world a a better place and not just a wealthier place, which is always more important. Thank you, listeners. Until next time.